It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody, welcome to the Bot Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hello, Scott Tilford. And only Josh Brown, because it's only me and JP in the studio today, which is why we thought we'd bring back a topic from the, the good old wind-up that we do every Monday, which is where we, we pit certain things against each other. Now, we just did a FromSoft ranking, which I recommend you guys go check out. It's me versus Josh on what the best From Software games are from their entire catalogue. And we thought, because we've got a nice excuse for an empty slot, and there's not that much happening in regards to the gaming industry, we do the best PlayStation exclusives um, pretty much over the last 10 years, although the specific uh, date is going from the beginning of the PlayStation 4's launch day, the specific, um, you know, that, that generation, but it is all systems, PS4 games, PS5 games, PS Vita games, PSP games, whatever you want, as long as it was exclusive and remained exclusive, that's the clincher. However, we're not counting the PC, no. because that thing is a rogue element, and every single time it comes in, and it always affects exclusivity, so just just go over there, PC, <laughs> I don't need you at all. Um, console exclusivity is what we're talking about. JB, what do you think? Um, we were kind of spitballing ideas of what to do today, mm. weren't we? We were thinking of maybe doing some news because there is a little bit of news out news. there. But I think this is going to be spicy because <laughs> me and you disagree on a lot of things. Yeah. But I think when it comes to PlayStation exclusives, that might be up there with some of the some of the subjects <laughs> that we just don't see eye to eye on. And I already know, without mm-hmm. having seen your ranking, yep. that there's going to be some ridiculous shouts in there that's going to wind me up. Speaking of ridiculous shouts, let's do our honourable mentions. My first, let me just let me run through these honourable mentions. Now you don't know what these are, yeah. but I know you're going to react to one of them because the top one is The Last of Us 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's keep going. My other honourable mentions are Persona 5, Unfinished Swan, Kena Bridge of Spirits, Solar Ash, Ratchet and Clank, Rift Apart. I almost said the, the cheeky one, Rift Apart. No, Rift Uncharted, Apart. Lost Legacy and Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Well, what well, are yours, well, sir? I only have one honourable mention. I kept this lean and that is Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, the VR edition. <laughs> that did stay PSVR exclusive as far as I'm aware. Is it most of my research five minutes ago. Uh, you've got some insane ones on there. A yes. lot that's in my main list. I knew they would which be. Is, which, of course it so is. So it's worth also it clarifying that these are entirely subjective lists. Yes. These are always fun to put together because it's literally just what is entirely my opinion, not worrying about giving review scores or anything even close to the idea of objectivity and is this game an opulent, brilliant thing, product, whatever, to give to people just subjectivity. I would didn't put The Last of Us in the top 10 because I just ultimately don't rate it that highly. I didn't need it. It's an unnecessary sequel for just little old me and I was I was better off without it to be honest even though I love playing through it and it's a five star game <laughs> point being that my number 10 is Final Fantasy 7 Remake but 
only on the hard mode because only the hard mode is where everything right. changes. It's where all the mana stuff changes, all the different MP allocations and the ways that you only have certain amounts of spells per chapter and that means that you have to rethink the way that you um, approach um, bosses, fights themselves. You have to ration out different spells and different approaches to combat and it's a lot more like the original Final Fantasy VII in terms of the mentality you need to have to get through it. Um, and I just like that game obviously has a bunch of problems in regards to like, changing things up like Sephiroth's introduction, the way that they handle the villains and the pacing and everything else. But for me, when I went through it on hard mode, I was like, this really clicked. This brought the sort of, um, the sort of like the chess, like the combat, like the depth to the combat that I kind of wanted. Um, and, you know, you can just enjoy all the remix sound, uh, the soundtrack and all the different approaches that they had to just applying a humongous budget to this thing that initially was given to a one-man translation team back in the day. It's funny when it comes to Final <laughs> Fantasy VII Remake because that's one of the only games I've known you to go platinum mad for. Yes. Like, I don't know if I you guys- I have like four platinums in my yeah. life and that's one of them. Totally, I don't know if you guys listening know, but it's very rare that Scott like pursues a platinum uh, if you're not fully into a game. And I remember you putting like hundreds of hours into yeah. that title. Final Fantasy VII Remake is one that I ummed and ahed about putting on my own list. It's actually not on there, mm. but I will throw it in as an honorable mention because it does so much, especially for a new time Final Fantasy fan, which I totally was. You mm. know, I knew you know some of the beats from the original game, but I was going going in mostly fresh, having mm. no connection to those characters. It absolutely got me in in a way that a Final Fantasy game just hadn't before. Mm. The reason it didn't make it on my list is just because of the downsides that you mentioned there. The you ending's know, the, absolute the insanity as well. I like the ending. No, no, I love it, but right. it's insanity. Like it is. It's, it's full on Tetsuya Nomura Kingdom Hearts madness, and chances are they'll never be able to capitalize on it. Considering how safe so many remakes are, I yes. was so blown away at how bonkers Final Fantasy VII Remake got, and mm-hmm. that's why I hold it quite dear it's to It's like... It's this weird living conversation with the Final Fantasy VII fandom, as it uh, this weird cottage industry that you know the way Square Enix treats the Final Fantasy VII IP and all of its weird forms. There's gonna be a battle royale later this year and whatever else, and that's it has this weird intrinsic quality to it that makes it unique, even though it is a remake. But secretly, it's a sequel, and that's kind of the thing with it. Um, that's kind of just fascinating to watch unfold. It is meant to be coming to Xbox. It's been meant to be coming to Xbox for the last two years. Yeah. Um. So right now, it is still exclusive, and I honestly kind of think that deal's just not gonna come together because um, they keep pushing it back or delaying it or just never addressing it. But whatever, it's an exclusive for now. Um, what's your top 10? What's your number um, 10? My number 10 is Uncharted 4, which almost nice. didn't make it on the list. It was almost an honorable mention, mm-hmm. uh, like like you said. Uh, but when it comes to Uncharted 4, like this was a game that kind of got me into Uncharted. I mm. played the other titles and I was like, these are pretty good. I didn't play That's them at the time. Right, right, I right. didn't play Uncharted 2 when it first came out. I played it with the Nathan Drake collection that came to PlayStation No way, 4. okay. Yeah, so it was really late. And I oh, enjoyed God. them enough but I played them after I played The Last of Us which kind of spoiled me a naughty dog because I was just thinking <laughs> right this is the bar right. and I went back to them but Uncharted 4 you know kind of lived up to the spectacle of um, The Last of Us in terms of its storytelling and characters mm-hmm. and it was an emotional send off to the series it's not higher on my list because I do think it has some pacing issues which yes. a lot of um, Sony exclusives I noticed have looking back on them mm-hmm. uh, especially in like the early parts of Uncharted 4 you know it, it takes a while to get into the action it's a bit elongated in the end, but to me, it's still an impeccable exclusive, and I think it holds up, you know, all of these years later, almost 10 years later in a way, My thing, or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, when I started putting this list together, um, Uncharted was on there. However, I've always maintained that Lost Legacy is a better game, right. like, as an overall package, and Lost Legacy was, was in my top 10 as well, and it was only as I started filling things up, and being subjective AF that I started slice, like, sliding things back. Um, yeah, Uncharted 4 was meaty as hell, it's just that ultimately it's kind of just more Uncharted. I do like the level of, um, you know, it works better if you grew up with the franchise, because it is Nathan Drake 
growing up as a character and they do that whole meta connection thing. Um, and I love him putting all of the um, paraphernalia, all the ephemera of the other adventures in his basement. Like yeah. he's locked them away out of his mind. And it's like, yes, to discover that he can be an adventurer and he can fall in love with someone and they can share with everything. And I was like, this is such a good growing up lesson. Like find someone who digs the stuff you dig. What I love is that it's a game that manages to be mature and emotional without being um, dark or gritty. Like it's a, it's mm. a darker Uncharted compared to the other games, but it's not a game that revolves around people dying or, you know, extreme violence or whatever. Mm. It's just about this one dude, like you said, kind of reckoning with his past mm-hmm. and trying to grow up in a way and become more than just the adventurer he's known for. And I think that's just a really neat story to tell in a game that is obviously, you know, naughty dog level when it comes to the attention of detail. And it's beautiful and it's bombastic. The thing they do as well that, like, it doesn't get enough credit is the fact that the, because they write Drake, uh, Nate Drake, in Uncharted 4 so grounded and they make him such a person, he's sitting there doing his taxes and working out his bills and he's sitting there having this breakfast in the morning. It retroactively makes all the risks that he took in the other in the trilogy way more effective like mm-hmm. and, and also Golden Abyss on the Vita um, but things like that I remember just thinking that I was like man you were you were really taking that big jump you were really leaping across that chasm like it sort of retroactively made me um, want to go back and do all those adventures again I know they weren't planning it that way initially um, but there's something about really grounding the person that yeah. kind of makes him like all those stumbles and all the like oh crap and all that kind of stuff it's like that works even better now um, my number nine is Until Dawn because my number nine isn't is Until Dawn because it's a beautiful, beautiful, perfect game. Come on, the boys. It's I love the boys. Is. I, yeah, Until Dawn. Um, the thing is, it's some of these games, um, it's making me think of lists, like games that are best first time through or better games you had to play at launch or something like that. Until Dawn, the first time you go through it, because it is so choice-based and so rewarding in that in that regard. And the thing is, like, in gaming, slasher horror is never, very rarely done. Yeah. Like, you know, Dead by Daylight's kind of got it, but even that is like that asymmetrical multiplayer. Same with Friday the 13th. But you very rarely get to, you know, really enjoy, like, a, a slasher teen horror style setup um, and Until Dawn is just putting you in the middle of one of those teen horror films and letting you make those decisions and not go down the dark corridor in the room or whatever and it's like and it, it adapts to every single one of them and obviously there's loads of different ways the game can finish depending on how much of your team survive or whatever and I just I love the structure of that thing and Peter Stormare's character is brilliant yes. the extra dimension they do with the storytelling where you know you keep cutting to this dude in the future who's um, in, in therapy and it's like well which one of the crew makes it out who goes to therapy that stuff's really cool it's not like an all-star cast, but you've got, you know, Hayden Panettiere and um, Rami Malek and like, this. it's really, really cool. Yeah, it's totally like, you know, a cast of people who would go on to like do big, big things. Mm. Like you said, Rami Malek obviously going on to start Mr. Robot, going on to, to be, be in Bohemian Mercury. Rhapsody. Yeah, like gaining <laughs> all of this um, acclaim and stuff. And you go back to this game, this odd idiosyncratic game that is a love letter <laughs> to slasher movies. Like you mentioned, you've got all of these actors in there, like, you know, doing really good uh, work. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the best Supermassive Games game that they have released. I just think it's the oh, most by far. complete yeah. and the most fully formed. The one they're going back to with the quarry in theory. 100%. And, you know, the way it throws in not just those slasher tropes and aesthetics, but, you know, everything from creature features to um, Saw-esque traps, you know? It really does pull from a lot of different horror influences and plays them well. It's Mm. not just a kind of a homage fest or a stitching together of a bunch of cliches and tropes. Like, it's a well-told story in and of itself. The characters are interesting. And the amount of control you have over them, I always think is amazing. You might not be able to branch off the story in incredibly radical different ways, although there are obviously branching paths. It feels like you can and the, t- and the way you can control each character's personality means that each one can be, you know, more of a dick if you want to be more <laughs> of a dick or, or nicer depending on kind of what you want. And playing that 
game uh, either solo or in a group of friends at a you know at a party or a sleepover mm. or what have you. It's always fun. It always elicits so many you know good reactions. And I think graphically and presentationally, it still holds up now. Oh, totally, man. And yeah. plus, like, I mean, you've got like all these like really fun stereotypes, archetypes, like the jock, the cheerleader, yes. whatever. That like, yeah, you get to control. And also because you really start caring about those characters when some creature or whatever the killer in the house, whatever it is, comes after you, and you do have to like hold the controller completely steady. Um, like that, like you care if you're going to mess up, and it's like that's such a unique horror-based feeling that no other game really does. One hundred percent, and that's one of my actually one of my favorite quick time events in the game mm. is whenever it makes you hold the controller still. I think the characters are you know trying not to breathe or whatever yes. to alert the the monsters and the killer, and I I, I always mess it up. My hands <laughs> shake so much in that moment that I always get someone killed. So I like that it incorporates you know all the features of the dual shock, and I can only hope that you know something like the quarry or whatever the team does next mm. incorporates the dual sense in a more immersive way to yeah, make man. those QTEs even better. I don't know if Until Dawn is on the PlayStation Plus collection. If it's not, I mean, just in general, if you're remotely into horror games, you're remotely into the idea of branching story paths and just a good, well-crafted game with good acting and storytelling and great reveals, like tons of great reveals as it goes. Um, play Until Dawn, it's brilliant. Um, number eight, again, subjective AF, but I adore this game is The Last Guardian. I right. love okay. The Last Guardian so much. It's the only game that's ever, ever, ever done the relationship between a person and a dog or a person and a cat. A person, like, you know what it's like if you grew up with them? Did you grow up with pets? I didn't. Right, so if, you, if like, people who grow up with pets, obviously you have to teach them and you want to, like, you know, learn. You need to, like, discipline them in certain ways and you feel affection in a very specific way. It's obviously why we love animals so much and no game's ever nailed that. Like, Fable 2 got close, well-ish, with the dog um, where you didn't have any direct control over it and you could just kind of, you could kind of intuit things from it but the thing that I love about The Last Guardian was just that that barely describable connection that you have with an animal where it knows what you're thinking and you know what it's thinking and you have some ways to tell it what to do um, but there's a certain level of patience you have to have with the creature that you're looking after uh, Trico and um, and it's all about like you know telling it where to go and like and at the beginning it's not listening to you very much yeah. and it's just and it, you build this great relationship with it where like you're just one by the end and I just they just nail that relationship where like the two of you are escaping this like ancient stone like location whatever it is that the creature is imprisoned you're imprisoned and you have to work together to get out and by the time you get out and you're like like it can't even fly at the beginning and you're both like soaring through the air and stuff or making the big final leaps and everything I just there's not been a connection like that and I was just like I, it's it's literally humans and animal connection the game totally I love it I've not actually played it myself oh. I've always said that I wanted to uh, but it's exactly what you just mentioned there that's been the most appealing thing for me mm. and what's always kind of made me gravitate towards it even if I haven't taken the dive it is the idea of when it first came out you know it had so much criticism thrown at it that yes. the that uh, the, the creature the, the beast wouldn't like follow your orders and Stuff, People would spam the moves, and I was like, it's because it's, give it a minute. It yeah. needs to figure out what you want. Totally, but, but to me, from exactly what you just mentioned there, like that seems like an in- integral part of the bonding experience, that you have this unwieldy thing yes. that you grow to uh, love and grow to have this connection with, where eventually, you know, you're telling them to do stuff, and then they're actually responding like, like a part of you, you know. Yes, like a, and like, like my favorite thing as well. It's and it's, it's exactly. It was the moment that I fell in love with it when I first played through it back in 2016. Is like you do things where maybe you clamber up a ledge or something, and you'll kind of watch Trico sort of watch you a little bit, cocks its head to the side, same way a cat would or a dog would, and it's like sizing up. Like, can I make that jump? And you kind of like your guy kind of does the come on then, come on, you can do it, and it leaps up, and you get such a like good boy, like go on, you've done it, and it's just it's exactly what you have with a dog or a cat or whatever when it does, um, you know, either have its own agency or does what you want. There's little bits where it syncs up. No other 
game's ever done that. And because it is in this big, like, fantastical kind of space, and you do want to escape together, but you do want to bond together, and you get all these really cool animations where, you know, it'll snatch you out the sky when you're about to fall or something like that. It's just a really, really, really great game. I love The Last Guardian so much. I, I obviously admit that the um, the biome diversity is the one thing that it falls down on because it was this thrown together, sorry, it was this, um, you know, put back together game that was delayed for so long. It yeah. was meant to be part of the trilogy with Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. And then eventually it was kind of resurrected and pumped life back into. Um, and Fumito Oida, I think that was his name, Oida, um, you know, said we did our best kind of thing and whatever. But I, I adore it. It has an intrinsic quality that just nothing else has come close to. What's your number eight? It is Horizon Forbidden West. Oh, the that's... most oh, Forbidden West. recent what? game on this list. But that's and the worst one, Josh. It's not the worst one. It's oh. better than the original. I've had time to think I and face ruminate. There on this sequel since it came out, since right. we played Elden Ring, since I did my From Software binge. Yes. And the further I get away from it, I thought I would forget about it. Mm. But I actually appreciate it more now I've had time to think back on it. I just think it takes what the original did gameplay-wise, knocks it up to another level. I think the amount of detail in the game is incredible. The amount of side content in there that's varied and original is awesome. Yes, the main story isn't as good as it could be. It does fall down a little bit in the end. But as an open world game, as a sandbox game, I would say you'd be difficult to find anything or much more that rivals its level of quality on the current generation. There's stuff like Red Dead Redemption 2, there's stuff like other things that I've got on this list, mm. but I think it's in the top tier of open world games, man, I really do. I I largely only disagree. I think Forbidden <laughs> West drops the ball in almost every regard. I think the story is incredibly unrewarding. It completely falls apart at the end, and all the open world stuff felt like busy work. When you said that you had, I mean, you did way more of it than me, because mm-hmm. I just had to tap out at some point. I was like, none of this stuff matters, and I don't care. I have Zero Dawn further down my list, because I think it's just a much better game overall. Right. Um, and the, the story pull is there, the character work is there. Um, yeah, I think Forbidden West is a, is a, is a, such a worse sequel, but that's a whole other subjective thing. Like, there's obviously big positives to Forbidden West. It's very immaculately made. Um, but yeah, I would largely contest everything you've said. Listen, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I want to direct people to uh, the podcast we did on this game earlier in the year. Yes. So we have talked about this game at length, but yes. I just kind of wanted to put it in here and say that with the two months or whatever distance from that title, it's it's done enough for me to be better than Until Dawn and Uncharted 4, which kind of seems mad. And I might go back on that by the end <laughs> of the year. But right now, that's the space it occupies. Forbidden West is, yeah, it's, it's a lot of stuff to go and do. And it does that stuff very very well. I just, I f- was just bored by it. I didn't think it, it nailed the stuff. And like, we'll get, to, I'll get back to this, the, the why Zero Dawn's better in my eyes. Um, as we go, um, you know anything else you want to say about Forbidden West? Or should we go it. to? I think that's fair. Number seven is Sifu. I think Sifu is a refined, just, I mean, I think it's immaculate. Like I think is like, give me, give me a floor. Give me a single pixel out of place in that game. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I, I couldn't. Uh, mm. And it, it certainly wouldn't be on my list, but really? I want to know why it would be on yours, Scott Silver. Mine, I just, I think it, it's like, it replicates the idea of learning a martial art in, in video game form. Like, you have to steal yourself. You have to do certain things over and over again. And there's something about Sifu, the brutality of it, the viscerality of it, that is deploying a martial art. And, and there's, there's, there's an intrinsic, like, I keep using the word intrinsic, but it's that core feeling when you get good at a game um, or a certain set of systems and they're in you and you don't realize that you've actually 
actually learned it, um, muscle memory, and it's like in a, in, in a digital space. And so Sifu for me, it, it is like a like a clenched fist kind of other game. And it's just like when you go back through those levels and you deploy the things you've learned. And also the world itself, I think, is so rewarding and deep. Like I love the story they tell. There's a very surface level version of it that you can just burn through. I know you got through it a lot faster than I did. And um, but that's the whole thing. The longer I spend in those levels, and the more things that I unlocked, and the more the Sifu um, themselves is you know finding out what's going on in the world around them and the different connections between the bosses um, and why those different areas exist and how they link to each other. There's just little drips of like Streets of Rage in there and like in terms of how the um, the environments connect and stuff. And I just think that it's that extra layer of rewarding on top of, you know, mastering this combat system that is in itself just so stupidly satisfying. I mean, I, I get that totally. It's definitely going to be my game of the year list um, come the end of this mm. year, I imagine, because like you said, you know, it has a set of mechanics. It has a flow to its combat mm-hmm. that just gets in you. You know, when I was playing that um, game, I literally had to take a break from Forbidden West because right. I just wanted to live on Sifu. I just wanted to live in that world and batter all of those guys <laughs> until they were dust. For me, the issue is I would have enjoyed this game mm. if you were literally just a mesh of a character model. If you were just a character model mesh, if you were just a stick man okay. with the same combat system. You I need w- to play Absolver because you're going to describe Absolver. <laughs> right, yeah. okay. I would have enjoyed it the most. If it looked like super hot, I wouldn't have felt uh. like anything was missing. To me, you know, the story and the characters, it just felt like kind of surface set dressing, like you said, which it's definitely optional, yeah. I didn't um, dive too much into. Um, into the story and stuff, but for me, there was nothing pulling me into it. The secrets I was checking out, you know, I was going running, rerunning levels to find those hidden doors, those hidden secrets and stuff, but those connections, I just wasn't really interested in making. They didn't jump out to me in that way, so I thought the combat was great. It was mm. just everything else where I was thinking, yeah, this is good. Don't get well, the wrong, thing is, good, like, but- that is entirely fair. I just, for me, it was always like, why am I respawning? How am I able to come back from the dead? Am I coming back from the dead, or is this a video game thing where we're right. restarting? Why are characters referencing the fact that there's immortality in this world and I was like that's just so cool and then picking that apart and realizing that you can use the time bending stuff to like take a key card from the fourth level and then bend back to level one and put that in a door which then you know uncovers a relationship between two of the bosses and it's like that's so cool so I loved all that stuff um, and found it to be uh, very very rewarding what is your number seven Ghost of Tsushima oh that's a lot higher for mine is it really yeah hell yeah well the thing about Ghost of Tsushima is it was way way better than I expected it to Mm. I bought this game actually kind of not even intended to finish it, I I wasn't like completely blown away by the trailers. I thought it looked good. Yeah. I thought it was going to be okay. I thought it was going to be slightly better than Days Gone. I could not believe how much I loved it by the end. Mm. You know, it's an open world game again of the very top tier in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The the world itself, the characters, the story are all great, rivaling the likes of you know a Naughty Dog game in terms of storytelling. In my opinion, the combat is absolutely sick, a step above <laughs> what developers Sucker Punch had accomplished before. Uh, it's all incredible. Incredible. It's only let down to me by a few archaic design choices. You know, some of the repeated side missions, you know, mm. getting to the shrines, looking at the foxes, uh, some repeated environments, you know, the interior of a lot of the buildings uh, quite clearly copied and yeah, pasted and yeah. stuff. And like, it's all kind of really small minor issues. I think it's an amazing like nine out of 10 mm. game. But when I play Ghost of Tsushima, Sh- I think it's amazing, but I also. I'm more looking forward to the sequel because I I just think that will be... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If they get it right, the perfect game. Well, as you remember, when we both went through Ghost of Sushima at the same time, you played it in a very specific order, which you can absolutely argue is the way you're supposed to play it. However, I would argue that you can go into that game and pick a bunch of different directions, and the game writes itself around that. It doesn't matter which um, order of people you meet in terms of the NPCs, the side characters and stuff. Even by the end, you can do the final mission and then still have other quote-unquote main characters left over, and the dialogue will reference that. So I just went through Ghost of Sushima. I didn't notice the duplicate stuff because I just did whatever came to mind as I went. Um, and I'm talking a lot. I'm going to use intrinsic for the last time. <laughs> but my point is that all of my picks, um, most of my, the vast majority of my picks have an extra like quality to them that I feel like is this digital incarnation of a certain feeling or a certain thing that you can't get anywhere else. That's why I love video games so much anyway. But in terms of in terms of Ghost of Tsushima, it has that feeling of like tranquility and serenity that I get from Japanese artwork or Japanese um, architecture or the landscape or whatever. So I love Japan anyway. And I'm probably planning to go later this year. But there's something about that feeling. And then they translate that into the combat and they do this whole thing of like you know becoming this sort of demonic version of himself to save the beautiful thing and i was like that's so compelling and like <clears throat> what is wrong with my throat dude you're just so <laughs> emotional i am and that's like so compelling and there's all that stuff where you know i mean i took up the shakuhachi wind instrument after playing it in this game can just there's something about that game where the haikus and playing the shakuhachi is you're just walking seeing this beautiful space um around you and i know that it's japan viewed through a western lens and there's been conversations around that largely positive um but that just enraptured me in a way that made me put it at my number three wow we'll get there um in good time number six for me now this is a question is Spider-Man and Miles Morales, can they be put together or should we separate? I, I will understand either. Ooh, I mean, I, I'm feeling generous. Mm. I would say you can put them together. Okay. I think that's fine. Right, so number six, if we're putting them together, it's Spider-Man and Miles Morales. If you want me to pick one, it's the, it's just Spider-Man. Yes, Although yeah, Miles Morales I had is a tighter game, but it is glorified DLC. Yes. But either way, um, the Spider games, they're just immaculate. Although they do, you can see what they're pulling from. It's the Arkham combat system. It's the swinging system for Spidey 2. But I just, nothing had done that in so long. And 
um, that I just had an absolute blast as Spidey. I still maintain that it's very safe game design, um, bankable game design, which has made them an absolute mint in regards to the the sales and everything. Um, it's supposed to be quite a short entry because I just think that everyone's played Spider-Man. You yeah. know why it's great. Um, it is the swinging combat system. It doesn't have that um, core extra layer thing that I'm re- referencing with other games, um, but it just is a very good Spider-Man game. And as someone who grew up watching Spidey, who loves the character, um, I think they nailed it in terms of the acting, the cutscene direction, the extra, the, um, the cinematic side of it, um, which twinned with the gameplay was just really, really solid. 100%. It's not my number six, but it is my number five. So very I might nice. as well talk about it right now because yes. I agree with everything you've just said. You know, gameplay-wise, it just refines um, aspects that previous Spider-Man games have already um, introduced and popularized. Mm. But for me, the main draw is the story. You know, mm. as a big Spider-Man fan, it was so fascinating to see Insomniac draw from eras of the comics that a lot of the Spider-Man media these days, especially in the movie um, universe, doesn't really draw from, mm. from, you know, put their own spin on villains, the timeline, etc., and have a older Peter Parker, which is yes, something that yes. I, I normally don't necessarily love that. Oh, I Korea think Parker is my favorite Peter Parker. I, I, sometimes an older Peter Parker, they get wrong because they make him rich or they mm. kind of make him like a CEO or something. <laughs> and for me, I, I do like the idea of a grown-up Peter Parker, you know, in his late 20s, kind of having trouble with MJ, mm. trying to get out of, um, you know, being a kid and then becoming a mentor to Miles as he mm. does um, properly in the DLC and taking responsibility for the likes of Aunt May and stuff. And I just thought the characterization of those characters, whether it was uh, Miles, whether it was Peter, whether it was MJ, mm. whether it was Aunt May, were all so well drawn in a way that, you know, something like the Avengers just absolutely wasn't. Yeah. And it wasn't just that they put their own spin on it. It was that all the actors brought their air game. It was written into a really compelling story with an emotional gut punch of an ending. And it established a world, a confident world that I just think will support so many games going forward. And I mm. can't wait to see how this Spider-Man in particular develops and grows and what we get next. Yeah, man. Well, I, I, that's the thing. I agree with every single part of that. And I love just going through it. You, you made such a good point about career Spidey because animated Spider-Man, the old Fox show, yeah. is my favorite Spider-Man incarnation ever. And it's just, it was like a playable version of that. Like, you know, give him enough responsibility, give him enough familial ties to sort of get, you know, to be interrupted by the villains or whatever other things come along. It's just a great version of that fiction um, and arguably the best digital version of that fiction that we've ever got. I'd say so. Yes. So that was your number five. My number six was Spidey. My number five is Horizon Zero Dawn, um, which I will not talk too much about Horizon because we talked about Forbidden West before, but the thing that just elevates, I just, I love the Horizon fiction and I love it more in Zero Dawn. They do more with it, I feel. And it was the introduction to that fiction that they just nailed. Like every single question you had about what was happening with the dinosaurs and what was happening, um, you know, with the world design. Why was there such a lack of knowledge? Why did people, um, this this tribe, the Nora tribe, that value uh, motherhood above all else? And they, you know, they call, um, you know, they, they cast Aloy out and all these kind of things. I just, I think that's so much more rich and I think that's so much more, it's such a better driving plot point and, and narrative structure than Forbidden West. Like it's the, it's all those things that I think Forbidden West drops and it's because um, Zero Dawn is so meaty and it's such a great first installment and they're so confidently going like, well, here's the answer to this, here's the answer to this, this is why this is this, that Forbidden West didn't have anything to go from and yeah. it was why I dropped off Forbidden West um, or I do drop off Forbidden West as it went on because um, it just couldn't keep up the fascination aspect and obviously in Forbidden West they lean into all these Kryptonian superhuman things which whatever, not get any more specific than that but that wasn't anywhere near as compelling as um, what is the what is the ground beneath my feet in Zero Dawn and how do I fit into this world and, and Aloy's journey and my favorite, my favorite if we ever did we should do a debate the best scenes individual scenes right. character scenes um, in PlayStation games or video games or whatever and I've said this before but it's the one where she comes back to the tribe and she still doesn't have um, a mother or anything 
something, um, but her face activates something, and all the tribe who hated her, this whole comment, like, you know, bullies being fickle and everything, they all just start worshipping her, and I love the way she dresses them down. It's my favourite thing. I just love that scene so much. So it's, yeah, I love the first Horizon way more than uh, than Forbidden West. I would agree with you on your points there, to be fair. I mm. think that uh, the, the first game definitely has a better story, definitely has kind of, like, better characterization and mm. better arc overall. I just suppose I wasn't as enamoured with that story as you were, and when it came to the second game, it was the, the gameplay that got me into mm. those two titles in the first place. I do think the first Horizon holds up massively well yeah. from a gameplay perspective. You know, going to that before Forbidden West came out, I couldn't believe how fluid and smooth that um, felt, even though we're five years on, we've had a whole yeah. uh, new console since then. So I do think it it is something that you should play now. Like, don't think of it as an old game. It's not oh, no, really not an old game. Especially it, on PS5, it has yeah. the 60 FPS, the 4K stuff. Like, it's the Decimer engine. Um, and speaking of the Decimer engine... Whoa, hang on. Oh! Let's go back, we actually skipped my number six. Did I? And I won't say it, I won't go into too much, but it's six. I had Returnal. I've talked about this game to death. Uh, Please do. So many, so many podcasts about this. This was the game that got me into roguelikes, um, and I love it. I love it so much. That was my number <laughs> six. I'm going to leave it there. Are you sure? You can absolutely talk more about it. I jumped right over it. My friend, it is totally fine. I hope someone would check out the other podcast we've done this because we talked about this almost nonstop last there year. There is that. There is that. There is and that. I also did a review of it on the, on the main <laughs> channel, which my thoughts are mostly the same. If you do Just want to check it out on YouTube. that you really loved Returnal. Yes. I absolutely did not, but it's a pristine <laughs> clockwork of a game. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, there's a lot of systems to get stuck into if they do click with you. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a, a jumble thing. Your number six was Returnal. That's it, yeah. And then your number five was Spidey. Totally. Whereas my number six was Spidey and my number five was Horizon Zero Dawn, which brings me to number four, because speaking of the Desmar engine, it's Death Stranding. Ooh. Because this this shuffled around a lot. And right. it's it's I said this, I've been saying this since 2019. If the if that game wrapped tighter, the whole thing would be a five-star, the best thing I've ever played. But um going through that game was infinitely more fun than the narrative side of it. And it's that the narrative side of it, the storytelling side of it, the literal script whatever, the acting, the line delivery, everything in that regard is a garbage fire for the most part, <laughs> especially at the end. Um, and so I'll, I'm not, I'm not going to dog on it too much because it's still number four on my list because yeah. of how well it plays right. and how rewarding it is and how how great the um, the unlocks are and the fact they give you all these different systems to overcome a 3D space, which is a whole separate thing. It's something that Breath of the Wild kind of tapped into. It's like, you know, defeating a 3D space is something that we just got away with, got away from in the 2000s. Yeah. But Tomb Raider used to do that stuff so much. So yeah, Death Stranding is just this immaculate an immaculate set of gameplay systems that drops down in my numbers just because the story side of it is absolute toss. And I get it. It's my number two. I think mm. it's incredible. I went back through it again last year and had an even better time than the right. first time I went through it, which is impossible because the first yeah, yeah, time we I went like lost it you for a week. Was you incredible. Oh man, I was <laughs> obsessed with it. You talked about um, you know games previously that have this intrinsic quality mm. that gets in you, that gets you into a certain headspace, into a certain aesthetic sensibility. For me, Death Stranding is that all over. Like you said, the the gameplay itself is so Moorish, you know, the lack of combat, but the commitment to conquering a landscape, yes. you know, mastering the nature itself, the environment itself is something that few games do as good as this, you know, mm -hmm. just building roads. I could spend tens of hours building roads in this game. Well, the man. thing is as well, the thing that I remember when they came out and I was like, you guys have not mismarketed it, but you could, you missed out the best selling point, which is that feeling you get when you and a bunch of complete strangers build something together. Yeah. Where like you said, you're, you know, you have a bunch of resources on your crafting components, if you want to call them that, and you arrive at a place, a, a road that's like semi-built and there's another road way over in the distance that seems like it could probably connect. And, and you do that and you know that you've just helped about 50,000 other people's save files because now 
how they can get there. Totally. And it was that was the strand genre that Kojima was getting at, which I think barely came through in the marketing. But there's such an insanely rewarding feeling to all working together. Um, and you can also, like, there's a button you can have, I think it's the touchpad, to ping the world and see if anyone else is standing where you're standing in the same space in their save. And if that's someone else does that, you'll hear, like, a sound and stuff. But there's a collective community building aspect to Death Stranding, um, conquering that space together, whether it's zip lines or roads or stunt ramps in the, in the re-release. Um, that stuff, that's the extra layer. Like, it's so good. 100% man. Like, I don't care about Instagram likes. I don't care about Twitter <laughs> likes. But I do care about my Death Stranding likes. I care about <laughs> they don't make any so sense. much. They don't make any sense. You, you just whack that button. Yep. But like you said, that uh, sense of community that you get, even though you don't meet any other players in the flesh, mm. is just so rewarding. You know, the way that game in the world is put together is so rewarding. And I fully agree that, you know, the, um, the story itself goes some places, I it will does. say, to be polite. And it doesn't always hit and there is a pacing issue at the end however um, while the storytelling might not be all that great I do think the mythology is awesome like the lore of that game mm. the, the world that Kojima spins this the questions kind of, he's posing are fun to talk about yeah like yeah. the Death Stranding itself I mm. just think is a fascinating concept and it frees up that game for so many inventive set pieces yes. and time blending image images and stuff and it's just one of those one of those games where I look at it and I think I would watch this as a movie I would read <laughs> this book I would look at the art all day long Ooh. it just has one of those worlds uh, that hits all my buttons man, I definitely I definitely think that it needs to be played to like click although I yes. know what you mean in yes. terms of the wider lore stuff it's like if you like your art if you like your auteurs as just you know like I want to look into this person's mind and see what put together which by the way go see the Northman that thing is Aye. literally Mr. Robert Eggers mind sprayed out into a fantasy setting saw it last night it's very good um, but overall in terms of Death Stranding it's very much a window into Kojima's mind like, the amount of research he's done into the history stuff um, and not to dwell this point too much but it reminded me of when uh, the Metal Gear in Metal Gear 5 was just called Sehalanthropus yeah. and it was like what the hell is that Kojima so I googled it and it's like okay that is one of the oldest fossils that we ever found and all the stuff to do with the extinction events that's talked about in here is true it's all from actual human history um, which is just kind of fascinating in itself. Um, what's your number four? My number four, potentially contentious, is God of War. My God. <laughs> My own God. <laughs> the thing is, with God of War, I would recommend this thing to anyone. I mm. think it's an immaculate 9 out of 10 game. I love the story. I love the gameplay. But you're talking about those extra elements, you know, that get in you. Yes. And for whatever reason, God of War just didn't have loads of those. It's an experience that I love when I'm in it. Mm -hmm. I like talking about it. I want to see what happens next with God of War Ragnarok. It got me into North Norse mythology nice. in a way that I never thought I would ever care about. But if I'm looking at the things that are above it, it didn't live in me in the same way. I think that comes from the fact that I, I think, I could be wrong, I think you played the earlier ones after... The 2018 one? Let me say this, though. That is I'm going to go down that subjective route entirely. 100%. Yeah. That is true. I did play... This was my first God of War. Exactly. I, I yeah, dabbled exactly, in, my, yeah. in the others. But since then, I have played all the other God of Wars mm. and gone back to it. Okay. In my opinion, didn't really change that much. It's 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 weird because I'll talk about God of War when I get to it in my list because I'm going to hang this on a very subjective thing. Right. But like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that because okay. um, we can revisit God of War. Um, my number three is Ghost of Tsushima. We talked about that before. Yes. Um, so we can jump past that one. What's your number three? Bloodborne. Oh! Bloodborne, Bloodborne isn't even on my list. Is better than God of War. Just 
entirely purely subjective. Doing a wide-eyed face over it, here. Because <laughs> it has those extra elements that I personally love. You know, yep. it's got all of the horror influences from Bram Stoker stuff to Lovecraftian nightmares. I think the way it weaves its story is fascinating and replaying it recently. I got way more of the story than I ever did before. Right. I love the gameplay changes that it makes from Dark Souls, making it more aggressive. The rally system where you can get health back if you're mm. more aggressive and you hit enemies just after you being hit is awesome. It's faster. It's more aggressive. It's just, it's for me, it's the full package, and I now want a Bloodborne 2. It's your seafood. It, it is my seafood, some would say. <laughs> um, and when I look at kind of God of War compared to Bloodborne, you know, I don't really want to get into that too much because it's, it, this Done. is entirely subjective. I think God of War is a more complete mechanical game, you know. Oh! No, this is good. I'm saying God of War is better here. God oh, of War sorry, okay. is more complete. It, it is more reliably good. It yes. doesn't have the same lows of Bloodborne, but for me, Bloodborne has the higher highs. I, I don't know like why, but my head. brain heard that as Bloodborne is more you you know, mechanically. The, the worst case scenario. I'm completely man. ill. I've been playing too much Sonic. This is <laughs> the brain's gone. Um, yeah, Bloodborne, um, I'm going to revisit it once they release, reveal, release the 60 FPS patch because I'm going to just try it again. It's, it, we talked about this in the From Software video, but that thing just didn't click with me at all. It wasn't even one of my honorable mentions, <sighs> which I know is, I get it. All the people tweeting me, I know it's a thing, but I just, Bloodborne didn't it didn't click with me what did click with me and number two is Astro's Playroom really yes Astro's Playroom if I could swear on this podcast absolute effing lootly (laughs) Astro's Playroom is one of the most pristine things you can experience as a gamer now you have to be a PlayStation gamer you have to have someone who be someone who grew up with PlayStation but that thing is a playable just trip through entire PlayStation history it's so meticulous it's so well made like if we're talking like animations and the way that it feels to control that character all the stuff they do with the dual sense is nice icing on the cake um, in terms of the fact that the sand feels different to ice feels different to water and whatever and the amount of easter eggs that they throw in there whether it's a cloud a little version of Astro Cloud, the little sword, or Resident Evil, or The Last of Us, or whatever. It's just, it's like playing PlayStation history. All the sound effects are in there from the PlayStation 2 boot-up sequence or the PS1 or whatever it is. And I just, I just grinned ear to ear. And I was like, I know that this is meant to be a, you know, little, it's like a tech demo type thing for what the PS, for the DualSense can do. But it's, it just nails it all. And if I'm going to go, my, my overall thing is always, what were they going for and what did they nail? They nailed every single part of it. Well, the thing is, I love you, Scott <laughs> And I agree with with everything that you've just said yeah. about this game in particular, but number two, above above The Last of Us, which didn't oh, really get yeah. on the list, above yeah. Death Stranded. I like games that needed to exist. Bloodborne. Yeah. Did Astro's need to exist? Did it? I don't know if that's true, man. I don't know if that's true. Astro's Playroom has more permanence than The Last of Us 2. That is, I if, if you weren't my friend... I would leave this room, but you are. So I, I married this. I'm married into this. Yeah, you're married into this. What was the thing you said in on the wind up where you were like, I'd take your own alley and, and kick you or something? You <laughs> took it back. Take your Resurrect alley. that and uh, add bullets. No, I uh, I just absolutely adore Astro's Playroom. I think it's absolutely immaculate. Um, and I think that, yeah, like as much as I can point to these other games that do have these all these intrinsic qualities, all these different things, they're obviously bigger games. Yeah. But I like if I'm going to go in a whole soapbox for a second, I think we get too hung up on um, production quality and budget quality and project size as an indicator of quality. And we go, well, that can't be a number two because look at it, it's so much smaller than Horizon. It doesn't matter. If it's if it's immaculate, it's immaculate. And that's what they aimed for and they nailed it. I I mean, 
I, again, I, I kind <laughs> of agree. I don't think you should look at the uh, production budget of a game or its size and be like, this is more deserving because it's bigger. More I'm not saying you were saying that either. But oh, still. no, totally. But... But Astro, man, like, Astro, it's, man. it's lovely, it's yeah. impeccable, but it is a tech demo. It's I mean, a, and so was PT. That was the best game of 2014. Uh, but PT is nowhere to be seen. It's not, to be honest. I was going to have it as an, um, an honourable mention, yeah. and then I forgot to put it down. But PT <laughs> would be in there somewhere. Anyway, what's your number two? My number two was Death Stranding, which we've very talked nice, about. Very nice, very nice. Very good. We should jump to number ones then, because mine has to be God of War. And mine has to be The Last of Us Part Two, Which is very, very funny, considering <laughs> that it's me and you. I'll very quickly do God of War, because yes. we touched on that before. Um, which is just to say that God of War just was this culmination of um, the studio themselves. Like, obviously, Corey Barlock came on board with God of War 2. Um, I think he helped out on God of War 1, but there was the whole thing where the reason God of War is just this, it, it elevates in so many different ways is because it is this living commentary on violence in video games and immaturity in video games and the different trends that we were all into across the 2000s that someone like Kratos used to embody, like just, like, to, to quote Doom, like rip and tear, tear everything apart, the sexism, the, br the brutality, the violence. Um, it worked for the time, whatever line you want to use, but I feel like that studio have matured so much, and Corey Barlog, having been there from the beginning, wrote this incredible reframing of that character, this version of Kratos that is old and withered and broken, and doesn't think he deserves love, and can, struggles to even put a hand on his son's shoulder. A son who isn't even his, I don't think. I think it's the um, it's the person he's with, um, Freya's uh, son, and just the way they reframe and recontextualize that whole character, that he's quite remorseful for his past. It was at the very beginning when he, um, he's cutting the tree down, you realize that it's to build a fire because um, his wife's died or his, his partner's died. And the, he's actually covering up the chain marks with the bandages. Even that made me teary. Um, and it's not that I loved the original game so much. I thought God of War 3 was the tipping point where they were too brutal and too gory and too stupid. Um, but it's because we, if you grew up with video games or you you know cared about violent video games and you love all those things, and it's not like I don't love those games like Mortal Kombat or whatever, there's something about the way that they do old man regrets his past that I just think they nailed that vibe so much um, and it's it's all they do so much with it like violence serves a purpose like he has to re-embrace his worst side to go into hell and retrieve a certain item and when he gets the blades of chaos back and he's like crying and it's like it's just insane but there's there's a power there and there's there's fun to that violence and I'm like they do for violence and portrayals of violence and, and controllable violence what Uncharted does for adventures and risk taking and platforming and stuff like that it's like once you ground these characters then everything that came beforehand is only elevated and so God of War 2018 is, is a masterpiece to me and it has infinite conversations around it for the past of video games the present video games and obviously the future as well the thing is I can only agree like everything you said fully agree it's partly why I love it as well mm. all of its comments on you know uh, video game violence like you mentioned the way it reframes Kratos' history the all the stuff with Atreus being a little douche yeah like it's like that's what it would be like, like if you had to take care of your old self 100% I love the way that they spin you know the entitlement of the gods which was yes. an entire part of the previous trilogy mm -hmm. but it's here when as soon as Atreus finds out that he is, you know, of godly heritage. He yep. starts treating people terribly. And Kratos <laughs> is like, I have no idea how to deal with this because I'm not really a father. You know, I am a father in the, in the terms of, you know, I am this guy, I am this boy's dad, mm. but I don't understand how to steer him off this path. And having Kratos be responsible for that and mm. for him to see his former self in his son in what he could become, literally, you know, taking down an entire mythology like mm. Kratos did in God of War 3, I 
I, I love those parts. Those those are that's something I want to see explored more in Ragnarok because I think totally. as Atreus ages and becomes potentially more like Kratos, who wants him to be more like his mother, that friction there is going to and like uh, all the stuff pronounced. Yeah, all the stuff with like Atreus um, sort of looking up to Kratos to some degree and like he's being taught this to be a warrior. But at the end, Kratos just says, "You need to be better." It's like the one thing yes. you need to be is you need to be better than what I was. And then in in two, it seems that like they're seeing the whole idea that um, as Atreus gets older, he 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 gets annoyed that Kratos won't fight more, and it's like that's a brilliant extrapolation or extension of that conversation and so yeah there's there's infinite things i love about god of war your number one though is last of us two you should talk about why that is your number one the last of us part two probably similar to what you like about um uh, god of war for instance mm. is is just the way it handles you know video game violence mm. i guess you know the way it reframes the original story i know that's very controversial for a lot of people who didn't want to uh, see the likes of joel be minimized in the story but right. the way that they handle and continue a story that i thought was complete in myself when I finished yes. the last of Us 1, I was just like, you don't need to do another one. When they announced the sequel, I was kind of trepidatious and I was thinking, is this going to ruin uh, what the original <laughs> accomplished? To me, it's one of those rare sequels that took a risk and managed to pull it off. You know, I do think that the risks it takes by introducing a second playable character and splitting the narrative into two, mm. for me, it all works and it added to something that was more than just The Last of Us 2. This feels like a part two. It doesn't mm. feel like more of The Last of Us, which would have sat satisfied a lot of people probably would have satisfied me Same. but just the way it um you know reframes that story puts a character that you love in ellie and joel it makes them uglier makes them yeah. more three-dimensional makes them more complex to me is exactly what i want from video game storytelling i don't want it to be as cut and dry and i don't like subversion for subversion's sake you know mm. i don't like uh, game of thrones final season because of how much the writers which is dedicated to surprising people but for me those surprises are earned in the sequel i will totally say that when um spoilers for the last of us 2 you probably already know when Joel dies um i was i was so happy not cuz he died mm-hmm. but because it meant i had no idea where this was going yeah. and that feeling is so rare especially in mass entertainment i i loved in that moment just going like oh my god what have, what have you guys written yeah. what have you written to justify this entire sequel we're only like an hour in um that feeling was just so palpable and i loved it um for me i'm not going to go on, on go on about the negatives we've done so many podcasts on the last of us 2 it was just there. And it's not that I didn't love my time with it. I, as I was playing, I was like, <clears throat> animation-wise and playability-wise and scripting, Ashley Johnson, give her all the awards. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Laura Bailey as uh, Abby as well. But um, but yeah, Ashley Johnson is Ellie, phenomenal acting. And the little bits and pieces you get of Troy Baker as Jill too. But it was just that feeling of like, it, I, I'm never, I just, I can't shake the reality of what my brain said to me when I hit the credits, which was just, I don't think I needed that. Right, yeah. And it's not that, it, that its depiction of brutal violence isn't incredible and so poignant and punchy it really sticks with you and it's it's visceral as hell um i just personally um that's not the last of a sequel i wanted and so yeah. if we're doing completely subjective lists it's just an honorable mention it is a five-star game it is incredible the production value is insane and um, i also just have a bit of an issue with the, the almost austin powers ish what if that goon had a family <laughs> like i just i couldn't shake that as an overall narrative structure thing right and um, that's not to say that they don't do their absolute utmost to justify it yeah um, but to stick to the positives yeah the combat's immaculate the way they blend all the animations and um, which is kind of no one really talks about how stellar the combat is yes. like you can chain everything together in one big natural motion oh my god you can get lost on youtube videos or twitter clips of people perfecting 
perfecting that combat mm. system, and it looks incredibly cinematic. Like the way you can chain those combos together. Shout like out to said, Sunny Legend is on that so bloody, um, so bloody good. And I was replaying those combat scenarios just because I wanted more of the combat. So I thought you've elevated this. You know, Naughty Dog games are often criticized for the combat mechanics not being as good as the story. And I think mm. with The Last of Us Two, there's a sense of cinematic fluidity to it, alongside a general sense of kind of viscerality from your own inputs mm. that just makes it feel good to play in a way that some of the other games, including The Last of Us 1, in my opinion, mm. uh, wasn't quite there yet. This plays well. I think the story backs it up. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned about the things that you didn't necessarily want from the sequel. Mm. There's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't think I wanted. Right. But I think where we might differ is that Every time I played The Last of Us 1, I was always thinking about Joel and how mm. his actions were perceived. In fact, I, I've even written something about, is Joel the villain of The Last of you Us? Think you think he's dead? Yeah, something like that. Because I was always fascinated with how, you know, if you weren't Ellie, if you weren't the player, how the hell would you see this guy? This, mm. this, I almost swore. This, um, <laughs> this effing kind of brutal, you know, survive at all cost man who mm-hmm. only cares about the people he loves. And... For me, them answering that question, or at least interrogating that um, question, mm. was was just open the world up in a way that I wanted the first one to do. And it's 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 got I, I don't know, man. You know, we we, we talk a lot on this podcast about having those video game stories where something comes out and we talk about them on podcasts and it mm. dominates the discourse. And how few of those we have now. I like yeah. that people don't like the Last of Us Part Two. Right. I like that there are good discussions to be had. Obviously, I don't like the bad faith stuff. That's no, I know what you mean. Bin, yeah. But me and you talking about this, you know, like that's cool that we have a story of this caliber because it must be doing something right. Yes. If we can disagree with it or pick it apart to this level, not just that, not just in terms of, I think the villain sucks. I think the end was kind of weak. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. real conversations to be had. Oh man, absolutely. Like, I mean, like, wh- like, yeah, when was the last time we had a really complex character to pick apart? And there's no one, like Naughty Dog do it better than anyone else. And it's like, yeah, those are the things that I absolutely love. I also think that obviously Neil Druckmann said that he framed the whole thing around hate. Like if the original game's theme was about love, then this one is all about hate. And I think, again, it's one of the things that barely gets talked about because all the discourse around Last of Us 2 is entirely in the Joel stuff, but it is in how they frame this whole world of how hate comes through in the micro and the macro, whether it's a human-on-human disagreement or an altercation or like a revenge story, but also in the fact that in the post-apocalypse you have like the military is coming back and there's a religion is coming back and all these different judgment systems are coming back and all these different um, confrontational systems are coming back. Hate is in us, like to some degree. And I think that they, they don't necessarily go into that on the nose, but it's there, like it frames the world. And I think that, that should be celebrated so much more. Like, yeah, Last of Us 2 has, has again, you can argue like infinite conversations that come out of it. It's, it's yeah, if it's just for me, it wasn't what I wanted from a Last of Us uh, sequel, but that's not to say that it's not stellar. I think that more time, as time passes, it'll only serve it better. Yeah, um, especially right. if they do end up doing a Last of Us Part 3, and you can kind of look at it as this dipping into different characters thing rather than Last of Us is Joel and Ellie. Yeah. I think that might be something that works better um, over time. I agree. Yes. Now, so to run down, uh, 10 to 1 for me is Final Fantasy VII Remake, Until Dawn, The Last Guardian, Sifu, Spider-Man slash Miles Morales, Horizon Zero Dawn, Death Stranding, Ghost of Tsushima, Astro's Goddamn Playroom, <laughs> and God of War, JB. Mine is uh, 10 to 1, Uncharted 4, Until Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West, Ghost of Tsushima, Returnal, Spider-Man, God of War, Bloodborne, Death Stranding, and The Last of Us Part 2. Those are tasty rankings, Yours I are think. too, my friend. Those are very tasty rankings in a very delicious way. Now, um, yes, this has been the... Un- this has not been the Untitled Battle Podcast it at hasn't. all. This has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. Thank you all very much for listening. A bit of an extra long one, because yeah. we had a lot to talk about. And we're going to do more, um, you know, comparison, rivalry type stuff, usually on the wind-up. I mean, 
me and your uh, me and your podcast that we do on a Monday. But massive thank you to everybody for listening. For now, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I have been your host, Scott Hilford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Hilford. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.